What is up, fam? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Phil Sarpon. This is Phil's Guide to PsyD. This podcast is dedicated to all things clinical psychology, wellness, and graduate school. If you guys haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also show your love and support on the YouTube channel where you can like and subscribe to the video as well. Today, we have a very special interview and guest with us today. Her name is Dr. Christine Ghislaine. She is a board-certified neuropsychologist who is going to be walking us step-by-step through the process of actually becoming board-certified in neuropsychology. I know a lot of you guys have had questions about this, and so I'm really excited to get into the interview. Before we get into the interview, I do want to share a plug for those of you who have a lot of questions about psychology or who are asking a lot of questions. I see a lot of questions in the YouTube channel comment sections. I, a lot of you guys are asking questions on my Instagram and everything like that. Keep asking those questions, but if you have more pressing questions that you want to be answered in a reasonable amount of time or in a, in a, in a short period of time, definitely think about becoming a member. You can become a member on YouTube by simply just clicking down the link below and joining and becoming a member. You get to be a part of a community of people who might be in the same stage process as you. Perhaps you're getting ready for grad school, perhaps you're in the application process, perhaps you're already in graduate school, but you're thinking about internship. So if you wanna connect to other people who are like-minded like you in terms of support, definitely think about becoming a member. The other thing too is that you're gonna have your questions answered way more quickly than everybody else. And so there's definitely a priority for me of answering people's questions who are members. The other thing too is that you have way more of a stronger input in the types of videos that are going to be put out. So if there's a certain video that you really want me to do, becoming a member, you're gonna have way more of an emphasis and a priority of me making those videos and me putting out those videos, okay? So there's a lot of different benefits to becoming a member. So I do wanna share a plug for that. Think about becoming a member and joining the community. So now that we've taken care of that, I do want to share a little bit about Dr. Christine's bio before we go into that interview. So Dr. Christine Ghislaine earned her undergraduate degree with honors as a double major in psychology and education from Bucknell University. She obtained her master's and doctoral degrees in clinical psychology from the University of Miami. She also completed her internship or residency in lifespan neuropsychology at the Emory University School of Medicine, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. She from that point completed a two-year neuropsychology fellowship there and in 2019 she was certified by the american board of professional psychology in clinical neuropsychology she's actually currently in the process of completing her abpp subspecialization in pediatric neuropsychology and so prior to starting her own private practice she has basically developed a pediatric neuropsychology service line for an 11 hospital system in the suburbs of Atlanta, which is really, really cool. So Dr. Christine has over 20 presentations and invited talks at national, international conferences. She has particular expertise in pediatric neuropsychology. Her research and clinical interests include refining assessment practices to enhance diagnostic accuracy and to achieve optimal outcomes for individuals with diverse neurological conditions. I am so excited 
to get into this conversation with her. Let's go ahead and go right into the interview. All right, Dr. Christine, how are you doing today? I am doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to just talk with us about neuropsychology. I know my audience really appreciates it. I definitely for sure appreciate it. So uh, it's just so awesome to be able to get into this with you today. So thank yes, you. Yes, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I do want to just learn a little bit more about you and how you found psychology or maybe how psychology found you. Did you always know you wanted to become a neuropsychologist or how did how did your path kind of lead to where you are now today? Yeah, great question. Um, I will try not to make it an entire life story, but um, I will say that originally I did not think I would be a neuropsychologist necessarily. So um, when I started this whole process of life and going to college, I really thought I was going to be a teacher, actually. Uh, my mom is a special education teacher, and I thought, you know, special education is where it's going to be. That's That really is what I want to be doing. I want to work with kids. I want to work with families. Um, and then my senior year, so I majored in education and psychology when I was at Bucknell. And I think it was my senior year, I worked with a developmental pediatrician. And I started working with kids who had pretty unique genetic difficulties or disabilities or um, chromosomal disorders. And so I thought, okay, this is really interesting. And I also did some teaching. I was um, doing some student teaching and also a substitute teacher. So um, I realized how wonderful it was to be working with the families, but also how limited I felt as a teacher to be able to provide certain types of services or identify children who needed those types of services. So um, I ended up working for a couple of years at the Children's Hospital uh, of Philadelphia, CHOP, and I was doing some autism research. Uh, looking at infants who were at high risk for an autism spectrum disorder. So that meant they had a sibling who was diagnosed already. Um, and they were, you know, therefore being monitored to see if the older sibling or the younger sibling would then go on to develop autism. So I was doing some neuroimaging research with CHOP before then going on to the graduate school adventure. <laughs> so that was kind of the early part of my career. Wow, that's that's amazing. I think it's so cool. I always anytime I ask that question, I think it's it's awesome just hearing people's unique stories and how they kind of stumbled upon psychology or how they, you know, other people in their life kind of led them in that direction or, you know, they were inspired by something that they experienced. And so it's really cool to kind of hear your story about that. Before we kind of go into sort of the board certification process, uh, I do want to know a little bit more about what your day-to-day -day looks like specifically um, with regards to maybe the population that you're serving or some of the patients that you're seeing and even some of the conditions that you see on a consistent basis. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, I actually, I'll, I'll back up a little bit on that question because I've, I've popped around to a few different types of settings when I was, um, you know, after I finished my uh, graduate degree internship and fellowship, I jumped into different types of um, settings for folks who are working in neuropsychology. So I actually started in an 11 hospital system in the suburbs of Atlanta called Wellstar and was hired to develop a service line for neuropsychology, for pediatric neuropsychology, I should specify. So they had adult neuropsychology services, but did not have pediatric. So that was a wonderful opportunity. I learned a ton about sort of the behind the scenes in hospital settings in terms of, you know, getting a service line started, working with different um, providers. So meeting with 
neurologists and pediatricians and geneticists and other folks who might need neuropsych services on the pediatric side of things. Um, but then I did get an opportunity to move home to my home state of New Jersey, and that was very exciting because my whole family is still up here. So I did transition to a private practice setting at that point and um, went back sort of to a lifespan perspective. So my internship, I was working both with pediatrics and adults. And then when I got back to private practice, I was able to then go into adults and pediatrics again. So um, took a couple of years where I was working just in pediatrics for my fellowship and early career, and then moved back into lifespan. So in my current practice, which I am in solo practice right now, um, I see infants through geriatrics. So I will see anyone from the tiniest of tiny to uh, older folks. And then um, I see them in both clinical and forensic contexts. That's incredible. I mean, it, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you've had a very just comprehensive, um, just in terms of your experiences, some of the things that you've been able to do. So that is amazing to see kind of what you're doing on a day to day basis. It does seem like you enjoy it, which is really cool to see as well. So Definitely. awesome. Yeah. So kind of going into the neuropsychology piece. I do want to start with, let's say, you know, we have someone that's already gone through college, right? And I get this question a lot about what are the, the best majors to major in in college if you want to become a neuropsychologist. My perception, and I've asked this question to other different professionals, is that, you know, it just kind of depends. You know, you should, of course, do what you aspire to do or what you're passionate about. But there are definitely, you know, different types of majors like neuroscience or biology or psychology that seem to do to be more popular for people that end up going into neuropsychology. Do you have any input or any uh, insight into this question? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. It's um, it's interesting. So I, I personally liked being a psychology and education major. I feel like that gave me some good insight, particularly working in pediatrics, you know, what's going on at a school level. Um, so psych and uh, education really worked for me. But that said, I think if I were to know when I was an undergrad that I was going to go into neuropsychology, I probably would have taken more neuroscience classes just because um, it's one of those things, right? You don't know what you don't know. And so for me, I didn't know I was going to love those types of classes. So I sort of never jumped into them as an undergrad. And now I'm, you know, certainly I got some of them in my um, graduate school. So at the University of Miami, we had um, general clinical psychology, and that was my, my um, area. So there wasn't a neuropsychology, a formal neuropsychology track at that point. So I was taking classes in the school of medicine. Like I took neuroanatomy with a bunch of med students <laughs> um, and did some of my coursework sort of piecemeal in that way, because once I realized I loved this type of thing, then I wanted to make sure that I was able to get those types of experiences. So I think as an undergrad and even in graduate school, I probably would have gone heavier towards the neurosciences and, you know, the biologies because it's so fascinating. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I'm, Totally with you on that. I actually was a neuroscience major. I didn't know that I wanted to go into clinical psychology at that point, but it ended up working out really well. Yeah. So yeah, no, anything about the brain, the neuroanatomy, physiology, like I think that stuff is, is super, super cool. Yeah. So for students, okay, so let's say now they are getting ready for graduate school. 
and they're looking to apply to different clinical psychology programs. You talked a little bit briefly about your own experience and how the program that you went to didn't, you said, didn't necessarily have a specific neuropsychology focus. You know, for students who are looking to find any recommendations or any suggestions that you have for people who are looking to find those neuropsychology programs that maybe either have a neuro track or maybe they have at least some type of opportunities in their graduates program to, to get that neuropsychology experience? Yeah, um, great question. So I think what can be really helpful is looking at what research articles you're reading as an undergraduate. So for example, if you're, you know, really interested in severe mental illness and schizophrenia, um, you know, maybe you look at who's publishing in that area at this point and to what program do they identify? You know, sometimes they might be affiliated with a psychology neuroscience or med school, you know, there's kind of different departments that they might be affiliated with, but there might be opportunities to look at, okay, that person's at the University of Miami, for example, you know, who in the University of Miami is doing that type of research? Are there folks in the psychology department that do similar research? You know, I always like to suggest thinking outside of the box, you know, if you find someone who can be a mentor in the department of psychology, let's say, are there ways to collaborate then with folks at the School of Medicine or other departments? So, um, you know, I, I always encourage folks not to limit themselves to just one, you know, particular type of department, because I think that interdisciplinary collaboration is one of the neatest parts of neuropsychology. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you, you shared so much there that I think is really valuable because I have friends who are halfway into their clinical psychology program and they realize that they want to become a neuropsychologist, right? And it's so hard too, because you might feel like you know that you want to become a neuropsychologist, but you don't really know until you actually start, whether you're getting in the clinical experience or you're actually doing the research. So sometimes either you know early or you know kind of late, but at the end of the day, there's still so many ways to kind of get that experience and to make yourself I think a really competitive applicant. So yeah, are there any, do you feel like there's any one thing that can make someone's application really competitive? Is it sort of the research experience? Is it the clinical experience? Is it, I don't know, the letters of recommendation? What would you say for someone who's looking to go into a neuropsychology internship, how they can be competitive in that, in that way? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've I have gone through the process and then I've done the interviews on, you know, the other side. So I feel like I can try to give you both perspectives. Um, you know, I think originally when I was going through the process of applying to internships, you know, I took the advice of many folks and applied to a whole bunch of different um, types of programs. And um, it was really interesting because I thought, well, I really want to do this, but with the match, you never know. I have to have a lot of different options. I'm going to go around to different places. So, um, you know, I did, I do feel like I had a lot of places that I looked at as an intern, but I think going through the process, then going to all of these places for um, interviews, it was really interesting to hear. Basically, if you're getting an interview, you've gotten past the credential review, we'll call it. Um, and you're really there to figure out the fit. And a lot of times they're looking for how you as an applicant could um, fill your gaps of knowledge at that internship site. So, for example, when I was at Emory, you know, I had worked with adults mostly at Miami, but, you know, wanted to work more with 
I was working more in Parkinson's at Miami and at um, Emory, I would be at a rehab facility. And so then I was going to get more info, you know, information about that type of population that I didn't necessarily have when I was at Miami. So I think, you know, thinking about yourself as an evolving work in process, as we all are, I still am, you know, even though I'm kind of past the point of formal training, um, you know, we're all lifelong learners. And I think if you think about the ways that the site fills the gaps that you have and being comfortable talking about those gaps, it's really going to set you up to be able to be a good candidate for a lot of different places. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's really good stuff. I, I know of even professionals, even after, let's say they get their clinical psychology degree and they're working as a clinical psychologist and they realize that they want to go into the board certification process of neuropsychology. And even through that pathway, they start getting supervision or they start getting training and they start kind of building up that application. So I think for anyone who, whether they're in college or in graduate school, like there's always hope, right? There's always different opportunities that you can gather to kind of build that application, which I think is is really really cool so yeah definitely always away <laughs> yes always away i'd love to kind of now maybe get into more of the nitty-gritty um so let's say someone has gone through their sort of internship that was focused on neuropsychology mm -hmm. and they're looking into the board certification process and i've gotten different perspectives about this question in regards to how long you should wait until you feel ready to become board certified. Um, some people suggest that you should really get some experience, see some patients, you know, work for a couple of years. Some people feel like you should just go right in. Uh, you know, you're already, you're already used to studying. You might as well study for one last thing and then be done. Um, for you, any, any recommendations or suggestions for, kind of the timeline to wait to see how ready you feel before you start that board certification process? Yeah, yeah. It's a question I actually feel like I get a lot as well. So this is this is one I, uh, I definitely will weigh in on. So um, I graduated from fellowship. So internship is your clinical year, right? You're going, um, it's still part of your graduate coursework. You know, you don't graduate from your clinical degree until after you're finished with your internship, right? And then for neuropsychologists, we're a little bit different because we have to do a two-year fellowship instead of a one-year fellowship. And so we get two beautiful years of a lot more training. <laughs> um, and I think that's important because for me, that is a time where you are diving deep into different patients that you're seeing. And just as some supervisors, I guess, have mentioned to um, to you, like jump in, learn about them. I would say, you know, if you have a really interesting clinical case on fellowship, dive deep into it, start to learn more about it. You know, don't just sort of check it off as if it's one more thing to do in your week, like really go for it. And as I would say, nerd out on it a little bit, because it's so interesting. Um, and so for me, I actually went ahead as soon as I finished my fellowship, I immediately applied to start the process of board certification and finished it within about a year and a half. So I had my fellowship in 2018, and then I was board certified by the end of 2019. Um, so that would be my recommendation because you are so in it. And honestly, 
I learned so much from the process of board certification, uh, which I will talk a little bit about sort of selfishly. I have some course things that are coming up um, that I'm creating right now for the board certification process because I think it can be really hard to figure out at times, but I do have some fun things coming up. So we'll get into that, I'm sure, a little bit later. Um, but definitely, definitely, I would say the sooner that you can start that board certification process, the better of a neuropsychologist you're going to be. That's wonderful. No, I, I think that's really good input. I think it it kind of shows just sort of the eagerness that people can have uh, to not only work with the population that they want to work in, but also to be the best that they can be, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, a really cool opportunity to kind of go into that. So I guess for this whole board certification process, because even when I say it, it does sound intimidating you know i'm like oh wow like this is this is kind of intense and i've heard bits and pieces you know i've heard that there is a written exam i've heard that there's sort of this oral presentation process of you know where, where you're picking a case and you're kind of presenting it to the members that are going to be kind of evaluating you what i guess what are some of the specific details in regards to sort of a quick general overview of here's what you need to do here's what it's going to take here's how to become board certified <laughs> yep yep so i will say i am speaking from the american board of professional psychology side of things abpp um, there are other boards um, american board ab and i believe it is american board of neuropsychology so um you know i will i will say i am board certified through the american board of professional psychology so that's sort of my main frame or my um framework from which to talk. So uh, it's about four steps, I believe is how I typically describe it. First one is your credential review and your submission of your application. So you're just kind of putting out there, um, you're filling out the application, you're talking about what you have done, um, and it's sending in your CV, sending in your transcripts, basic information, just here's, here's how I've been trained thus, thus far. Um, and if you're curious about how your training matches up to, um, you know, what they're looking for, for board certification, definitely check out the Houston conference guidelines. I'm sure that's something you have heard before. Um, but they are going ahead and updating the Houston conference guidelines. Uh, those were published back in 1997, but they talk about what you need in terms of course work and what you need in terms of your internship and your fellowship to be a neuropsychologist. Um, but because they were done in 1997, it's time for an update. Um, and so as of September, they're going to be hosting the Minnesota conference. Um, and the Minnesota conference is to update the Houston conference. So maybe after that, we can talk more about what came out of that <laughs> um, conference. Um, so step one is just the uh, credential review piece. And then step two is the written exam. So that is a um, written exam. I actually looked it up. It was 125 questions in two and a half hours. And that is breadth and depth of neuropsychological knowledge. So everything from, um, you know, general neuroanatomy questions to um, you know, more applied. I think it's really shifted to a more applied approach where you're answering questions more along the lines of case vignettes. Um, but there's lots of wonderful resources out there in terms of practice exams and other things to expect for the written exam. Um, but once you pass the written exam, you move on to step three, and that is um, case submission. So just as you were saying, you actually submit two cases, they're de-identified. Um, I'm actually one of the committee members who reviews those cases at this point. So um, you know, a few folks from the uh, committee will review those cases look through them, um, you know, decide if 
look, look at them from a, you know, diagnostic perspective and also, a, you know, how do you go about approaching these types of cases? Um, and then once your two cases have been accepted, then that's part of part four, which is the oral examination. So oral exam occurs um, up in Chicago, and there's three parts to that. So the first part is um, an ethics component where you're basically talking about what would you do in different types of scenarios for an ethical perspective. Um, you're defending your case samples. So the people who review might have given your reviewers, you know, some questions. Hey, did you think about this? Or why did you choose this test versus another test? And you're kind of talking through your process. And then the, the third piece is fact finding. Um, are you familiar with the fact finding process? I think I've heard of it, but I don't know too much about it. No. Yeah. Fact finding can be really fun. It can be really intimidating. I think sometimes it's the most um, nerve wracking component of the oral examination, but basically you are walking into a room and you're given a slip of paper that says either an adult or a child you choose. And then it's okay. You have a six-year-old right-handed male coming in for an evaluation. What do you want to know? Um, or you have a 94, seven-year-old Hispanic male, what do you want to know, right? So you kind of get the very basic demographic information and you build out your case asking what you want to know from a background history perspective. Then you receive each part of the testing information. So, okay, I want to know what their um, attention and executive functioning testing looked like. So then you'll be provided with that information. You're basically doing a diagnosis on the fly. Wow. That yeah. I mean, it sounds really <laughs> intense, but I'm, I'm I imagine it could be kind of fun, right? Like if you've totally been studying this and you've been going at this, it's like okay, this is the moment for me to like actually put my knowledge into practice. Yes, exactly. And honestly, you know, when I talk to folks, so I am a mentor on behalf of ABCN. So I do get partnered with folks who are looking to go through this process. You don't go through it alone. You have tons of support um, from other folks in um, the academy already and also just general mentors. So, you know, I talk to my mentees a lot about just how fun and it's, it's what you do every day, right? You have a client who walks in and you know their basic information and then you're going through this exact process. So, um, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just, yeah, okay, I can do this. This is what I do every day. <laughs> and so that, that written portion, that's multiple choice or is it, is it kind of like flow back and forth with like short answer or whatever it is? Yeah. Great question. It's, it's all multiple choice. So multiple it's 125 choice. multiple choice questions. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that the oral present or like the oral parts were in Chicago. Is, is there a reason why it's sh Chicago and not anywhere else? Or That's a fair question. Um, I don't know. I know in COVID it went virtual for a little while, but I believe they are back to having folks come up to um, uh, Chicago. I don't know if it's just, um, you know, where they had the space and the ability to kind of go through that process. I think, you know, faculty members, who are part of that board certification process, you know, have access to then, you know, classrooms or spaces to be doing this type of thing. And there were, I'm trying to think when I was there. Um, so I was pre-COVID. So I was in person for my oral exam. And I would say there were maybe 20 of us in the room. Um, and so this way you can kind of have all of the different examiners, all of the different examinees. And then, you know, there's a lot more space. So you kind of need a big space to be able to do it all. Gotcha. Okay. That, no, that totally makes sense. 
And so now that you've kind of taken us through the board certification process, what, I guess, I think, cause I'm sure some people are wondering, okay, what, what is life like now as a board certified neuropsychologist? Mm -hmm. Is there a pay increase? Is, or am I getting more special cases that I'm, that are being referred to me? Like how does my life drastically change or does it change minimally? <laughs> I would say drastic. Let's go with drastic. Um, drastic. <laughs> um, it, just in the sense of number one, I think truly it made me a better neuropsychologist studying, going through things, you know, you sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes during graduate school, it's, it's a marathon truly. And you kind of get tired and you sort of get burnt out at times. And, you know, you want to be really passionate about things, but like, okay, you've been doing this a while and you're getting tired of it. So I think um, board certification really reignited my excitement for this field um, and helped me to find the gaps in my knowledge and, you know, have made me truly has made me a better neuropsychologist. And so, you know, I think about how important that process is, but also on the other side, you asked about financials and all of that you know, number one, yes, I think um, in certain arenas. So for example, at prior places where I worked, there was a pay bump if you um, got ABIP, if you got your board certification. Um, other places, it's just a requirement. Within five years, you must do this or you're going to be looking for a different um, job placement. I think it's very much, at least on the more so on the East Coast than the West Coast, I think it is becoming an expectation rather than a choice per se, which I think is great. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, now you have to do this new thing. It's really a wonderful thing. Um, and I also think, you know, when I, I'm in private practice, so I don't, I can't say I have a pay bump from doing it. Um, but I do think as a, you know, person who wants to tout conscious consumerism and a person who wants to be able to demonstrate to the people who come to my office, you know, I have, I have attained the highest level of, certification and demonstration of competence in my field. And so I think that can be so critical for, you know, the lay community who might not know what's the difference between Dr. Ghislaine, who's board certified versus someone down the road who took a webinar and now calls themselves a neuropsychologist, right? right. Um, so I think it allows you to kind of be able to uh, represent your skills more transparently, if that can be a word. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like if I was in a patient's shoes, like, and I had whatever question or condition, I think I'd want to go to someone who has done the work to, to be competent, not only just be competent, but to be an expert in their, in their area of expertise. So I think that's, yeah, I think I, that's a great answer and a great input for that. So is there anything else that you'd like to share about this whole board certification process? One quick thing, um, you know, board certification is lifespan. So when you get board certified, it is in it is pediatrics through geriatrics. And so a lot of people who might only work in a children's hospital might say, you know, I don't really understand why I have to get board certified. That's for adults through, you know, pediatrics. And I only work with kids. Um, there is the pediatric subspecialty board certification. I'm in that process right now. So, uh, you know, that's a supplemental thing that pediatric folks get to do to um, sort of have a, a subspecialization in pediatric neuropsychology. So you get uh, board certified in the overall and then the subspecialty. Um, 
So I would say, you know, just expect that it's going to be for both pediatrics and um, adults. And it, again, is going to really robustly um, help you to think about neuropsychology across the developmental lifespan. So I think that's an important plug to to throw in there. <laughs> oh, that's no, that's really important. Yeah, especially because I think it's good, obviously, the first step in being board certified, being able to do the lifespan and being able to um, actually be able to see all different types of patients, but then also to be able to be self focused, because I imagine for kids, yeah, there's going to be different conditions and different areas of things that you're going to have to know about specifically for that population. So that's, that's a really great point. As we kind of close out, I do want to, you know, this is a question that I always ask anybody that I interview with in the mental health profession field, obviously it's important to, you know, we're advocating for patients in regards to their mental health and self-care. Of course, I, I know you give so much to your patients, but what are some of the things that you are giving back to yourself in regards to self-care and in regards to wellness, uh, mm -hmm. in regards to taking care of yourself? What are some of the things that you're doing for yourself? Yeah, important. As absolutely. You know, I think as neuropsychologists and as mental health professionals, we have to practice what we preach and talk about things um, openly in terms of all this. So I'm so glad you asked these questions. Um, when I was on fellowship, I actually got group fitness certified. So I am a group fitness instructor on the side. Um, I find that to be a really nice way to release tension and to model good physical activity. Um, you know, my husband and I are part of a running club. So we try to stay physically active, try to, you know, do different things like that. And I also garden. So I grow my own vegetables and I do enjoy kind of spending time out in nature from a gardening perspective. This year has been a little hard given all of the, the less water that we have in, in Jersey, less rain this year, but um, all in all, that's Gosh. sort of my, my two areas of, of self-care. That is so awesome. I, so <laughs> I'm also, I'm a personal trainer and so okay. I, I do part-time personal trainer work. So all about the fitness. I think it's, it's so, so valuable. And it's, for me, it's like a great way for me to escape, uh, not think about psychology, not think about work, but also to invest in my physical health as well. So that's really cool to hear that. I, I always love asking that question because obviously every response is different and everybody has their own unique way of kind of taking care of themselves. So I think it's important to have those, those work boundaries for, for ourselves. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It is so important, vitally important. And you can then talk about it with your patients from a realistic perspective. Hey, I know some days you don't want to get out of bed and get to the gym. How can we work with that? Right. You know, you have yeah. that understanding yourself. Exactly. And, and even as you share that, they can actually see you put that into practice in your own life. So that's, yeah, that's absolutely really, really cool. I guess the last couple of things, you know, I know uh, the audience may not know, but you have a YouTube channel. You also have a social media page. How can people reach out to you? How can people kind of get more of this neuropsychology information and education? I'd love for you to put a plug out for some of the things that you're working on. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I appreciate it. I definitely, so I do have um, Chat the Brain with Dr. Ghislaine. That is what I do on YouTube. Um, it is under NJ Brain Health, um, which is, I'm in New Jersey. So NJ Brain Health is my current 
uh, space also on social media, on Instagram and on Facebook, NJ Brain Health. Connect with me on uh, LinkedIn and um, I would say Twitter, but honestly, I'm terrible with Twitter right now. So I'm going to just acknowledge that that's an area that I could certainly stand to improve upon. Um, but definitely try to get in contact with me. My website uh, is brainhealthneuro.com and you, there's a ways that you can kind of sign up for different listservs or um, different areas if you're interested in private practice, if you're interested in neuropsychology. Um, I recently published a book on training psychometrists. And so I have a lot of information and a course coming out in a couple of weeks for folks who want to get more information about psychometry. So, um, and it is evolving. So I'm hoping to have more social media and other things, um, sort of a, a larger presence over time, but those are good places to start. Yeah, guys, I will definitely leave all of the show in the in the show notes, all of those links to, to Dr. Christine stuff, because I've, I've checked out some of your resources and it's it's really, really good stuff. I think you're putting out a lot of really great information and education for people who can kind of it kind of walks you through the process. And I think for me, initially, when I wanted to go into clinical psychology, I really had nowhere to start initially until I was able to find a mentor and I was able to shadow and. Um, I think even in the virtual space, you kind of have, it's kind of like a virtual coach. You have a virtual mentor that can kind of help you through some of the questions that you have. So really appreciate all of the stuff that you're putting out. It's, it's really good stuff. So. Well, thank you. And thank you for reaching out. I mean, I think you sent me an Instagram message and I feel like that's a great way to connect with people. It is a wonderful way to, you know, hey, I really like your info and I want to, you know, learn more or, um, you know, I think we're all in this together to promote better mental health and better um, neurological health across our patient population. So I'm so glad that you reached out to connect. It's a great thing to do. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure me and the audience would definitely at some point in time, love to have you back. Uh, honestly, this was uh, just yeah. really informative and really, um, really good just knowledge. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for having the time for us. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to uh, future chats.